I'm Satya Nelms, and this is Our Mother's Gardens. On this show, we discuss the seeds our mother sowed in us, the ways we have grown, and how we learn to blossom. In this space, Black women that have learned to define success on their own terms share stories of their beginnings, healing, and thriving. Welcome and thank you for being a part of this community of mamas, grandmamas, aunties, sisters, cousins, daughters, and friends. Joining us in the garden today is Elmika Henderson. Elmika Henderson is a school psychologist, mindfulness educator, and mother living internationally with her son. She is dedicated to inspiring others to travel to expand their awareness of the outside world and advocates for mental health awareness and well-being for children both domestically and internationally. Elmika is the creative voice behind Adventures in Raising a Vagabond, a blog that offers a first-hand account of single parenthood, traveling the world with children, and living life on your own terms. She is also a huge fan of French fries. What is it? What is it to be a mother? What does it mean? What is what does that word mean, mother? Um. Yeah, I I I go back to I think I make the same like Facebook post every Mother's Day. Um. Mother's a verb, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think that anybody who intentionally nurtures and cares for and protects another human being, that's a mother, and that is completely outside of gender. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we all have have been mothered in ways outside of our our nuclear or consanguineal families, like we have probably mothered in different, if not better ways, outside of that, Mm -hmm. um, because they don't have the same attachment Mm -hmm. or kind of generational trauma to pass down Mm -hmm. as others do, you know, Um, and so I think that it's just, it's just the, the choice. And, and and the the radical act of caring for someone else. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and not even with this, like, you know, without trying to do harm, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, no. It's, and, and being intentional is saying, listen, everything that I do and everything that comes out of my mouth is going to be in a way to build you up and nurture you and care for you and love you or at least make you feel that way, mm-hmm. you know? Make you feel that this, as long as you're with me, this is a safe space for you to be who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did you come into that understanding of of mother, of that word? How long has that been your understanding and how did you come to it? Um, I was, I was like 28 maybe, Mm -hmm. um, 
and I had this mentor. Um, and I think that was the, the first time that I noticed someone mothering me that wasn't in my family. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and especially when you're in a family that doesn't always feel like love, mm-hmm. when someone shows you love, you kind of like react defensively, like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> why, why are you, why are you doing this? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, or even just someone being generous, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what's happening here? You know? Um, and the way that she did, you know, her name is Rosemary Norman, and the way that she cared for me and, and spoke with me about my experiences and what I, what was going on with me, um, it was, it was, I think that's when I started to understand and like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. like, not that I didn't think I wasn't mothered before, but it was just like, this is the first time someone who had no type of attachment to me, mm-hmm. no obligation to me, kind of made that choice to to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just showed me a different way to love, you know, to love and mother someone that you don't really know, mm. you know? Yeah. So then when you, keeping that, you know, keeping that understanding of what mother means in mind, when, you know, if someone were to ask you, well, who is your mother, what comes to mind or who comes to mind? Um, like, I, I mean, like, I was born through, you know, my mom, mm-hmm. you know, Jacqueline K. Loggins. Um, and like she, she will always be my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've had, you know, I was raised by my grandmother and my aunt. Um, and as far as like attachments go and things like that, I feel more of that motherly connection with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with them, I think that even in reflecting in how I was mothered through them, it helped me to understand how my mother mothered me. Mm. And so in, in kind of reflecting, especially in adulthood, um, I think that, you know, as a child and you're going through things, it always seems like, Oh, well it's better here. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like as an adult, you're reflecting and even like since the last time that we spoke of reflecting on that and saying, okay, it wasn't, perfect it wasn't there was definitely some stuff you know Mm -hmm. but it was like oh okay now I understand her a little bit more Mm -hmm. and how she mothered me because she got it from them Mm -hmm. and they probably got it from their mother and they probably got it from their mother Mm -hmm. and so you know and so in but it's this kind of like um this idea of just doing things because it's been done Mm. And that is your idea of of what being a parent is. That, mm-hmm. you know, they do something wrong, you spank them. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's it's that. That no one ever came in and corrected and said, no, maybe this isn't working. Or maybe this isn't working for this kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just how my family was. That they just did things because.
because that's how it was done. And nobody wanted to be disrespectful and and change it or, mm-hmm. you know, or by doing something different, um, it seems disrespectful to your own parents. Mm-hmm. I think I think my mom went through that when my, my stepdad definitely did, that when we would come in town and I would ask them not to do certain things or not to feed for certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom definitely struggled a little bit with it. Um, mm-hmm. My stepdad just outright refused and he would do things like sneak and give him McDonald's and stuff like that. <laughs> um, you know, but really just out of the spite. Like, you're a child. How are you going to tell me what to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but not in this, like, long term, I'm really just looking out for the health of my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's not anything personal with you. And so I think that it took a little bit of time for, like, my family to get that and say, okay, she's trying to do things differently. That, mm-hmm. you know, if our family has a history of high blood pressure, it doesn't start when you're 20. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it starts with, with your habits and with the things that you develop in your kids. And so, so yeah, I think it's understanding, you know, that there are different types of mothers. And, and so, like, the mothers that come to mind are, you know, my mom and, you know, my grandmother, you know, Bay Louise Loggins and, you know, my aunt, Donna LaVere Patley and, but I've, I've been mothered by friends and I've been mothered by, you know, coworkers and mm-hmm. I've been mothered by strangers even. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've learned how to recognize what that feels like mm-hmm. and kind of get outside of this, this is what this should look like mm-hmm. from somebody that is not in my family, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And what does it feel like? Um, it just feels safe. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for someone who identifies as queer. Mm-hmm. Um, having a family that doesn't question or having, and family in like this kind of chosen, kind of built and constructed family. Mm-hmm. Of, of not having to explain yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that is like that that ultimate safety. You know, like mm-hmm. my best friend when I came out to her, she acted like I said I had chicken for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "Oh, okay. So yeah, so we're gonna, you know." And it was just like, huh? And, and so when I brought it up, she was just like, Mika, like, what? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, it's you. Like, okay. Like, she was like, I've just learned to love you and not be surprised by anything with you at this point. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Um, it's, it's that, you know? Mm-hmm. Even, like, coming out to my child mm-hmm. of, like, like, that. that is just that, that safe you know like I'm mothered by my kids sometimes Mm -hmm. you know and feeling like yeah yeah just like feeling that and needing that space to be safe you know um of of wanting to be yourself at all times Mm -hmm. and I think that that's what to me it feels like being mothered of 
not having to explain yourself and not having to justify who you are, but just having the space to be Mm -hmm. um, and not have to, I guess, help them overcome that cognitive dissonance that comes Mm -hmm. with being faced with something that is different than what you believe in or know or understand. Yeah. Yeah. So you said, you know, that you have like come into a better understanding of your mother and understanding that there are things that she did because that's the way her mother did them before her and her mother did them before her. So when you think about, you know, the way that you grew up in your childhood, what were the most challenging parts of that, the most challenging aspects of folks continuing to do things the way they'd always been done? Um, I think the biggest challenge is was not having things explained to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we just didn't have conversations. Um, big conversations, little conversations, like, you know, something as small as, like, well, I mean, it's big, like having the sex talk. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the most my mother talked about it was asking me if I was doing the hoochie coochie dance. <laughs> she literally said it like that. You're not doing the hoochie coochie dance, are you? And you know, and it was mm-hmm. just like in, the, in this in, in this accusatory way. You know, uh-huh. and it was just like I was 15 and I hadn't even kissed anybody yet. Mm-hmm. And it was just like you have no idea who I am. Like, I am the biggest nerd. Nobody looks at me. Nobody likes me. Like, <laughs> but you're asking me if I'm having sex because you assume my friends are, you assume this is the age mm-hmm. that it happens. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but there was just no conversation. Um, and even really huge stuff, like, when I was nine, my brother died. Um, and... We just didn't talk about it, Mm. you know, and it was just, and no one talked about him and it was just like, okay, where did he go? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, or just help us to process it. He was Mm -hmm. here, we had a brother and now we don't Mm -hmm. like, you know, um, and I remember very distinctly, they stopped saying his name, like they Mm -hmm. stopped talking, but it was because he was, he was three days old and Mm -hmm. I get it. Um, like, all we have of him is, like, the hospital picture, I think, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I don't even think there was, like, enough time to, like, for them to take pictures, like, at the hospital and things like that. Um, and and that's why my son is named after him. Mm. Because as soon as, I think, as soon as I found out I was pregnant and found that it was a boy, I was just like, you're going to say his name again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I'm going to make you say his name. Mm. Um yeah, I think that was the biggest challenge of just, you know, nothing being discussed, nothing being talked about, things happening. Like, my mom left shortly after my brother died. Mm-hmm. We never got a conversation about where she was going, how long she would be there, why she was going away, where she went, mm-hmm. um, until we, like, went to visit her in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but we just, there was just no conversation about anything. And I think that was the hardest thing growing up. Um, 
because you just kind of fill in the blanks for yourself. Mm-hmm. And and as a kid, it almost always directs towards what did you do or what didn't I do mm-hmm. or how could I have been better so that this thing wouldn't have happened, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And how has that evolved, you know, that lack of conversation um, or explanation? How has that, how does that affect your current dynamic with your mom? Like, what does your relationship look like today? Um, I've learned to, to develop boundaries mm-hmm. with her. Um, I've recognized this is just who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has to do her own work mm-hmm. to to kind of figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I've I've kind of developed these boundaries that I think at this point she's starting to to respect a little bit. Mm-hmm. But like, um, for instance, you know we we are you know we were in in Wichita with her, and with COVID. She got sick with, with COVID, she and my youngest brother. Mm-hmm. And so we stayed away um, because just I didn't want to get sick, you know. I mean, if something serious would have happened, I would have went in and did what I need to do. But mm-hmm. I wasn't, like, I wasn't going to stay with her and all of that when she's being sick, even after I wasn't comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, it's like, yes, you are immune and you probably can't get sick again, but you are, you know... My, my other brother and other family members are coming into the house. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not social distancing. They're not quarantining. Like, they're out in the street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the way that Kansas handled things, like, it was a short stay-at-home order, but people were still, like, you know, Walmart didn't have any restrictions mm-hmm. um, in the number of people that could come into the store. Grocery stores didn't have any restrictions. Mm-hmm. So people were just going out, going to the grocery store without masks on and things. And so um, I was just like, I'm, this thing makes me extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and so my mom had a really hard time with, with coping with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time we talked, it was just kind of like, well, when are you guys going to stay here? When are you guys going to come over? Um, and I would just kind of like, you know, I was like, like, listen, you know, I'm not seeing anybody. I'm not visiting anybody. Like, don't take it personally. Like, I'm out here hanging out with everybody, which mm-hmm. is neglecting you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to kind of draw a line um, when we, I went to her house to, to get something. And, um, like, I went into, I had to go to a store. And so my mom and my stepsister were in their car and they saw the car. So they came into the store. Um, and so, like, I talked to them, and she mentions it, and she tries to make me feel bad, like, telling my stepsister, like, she won't hug me, and see, you see how she treats me, and, you know, and it's just like, you're not going to guilt hurt me, mm-hmm. you know, but kind of holding those boundaries, but then we're in the car, and Chris tells me that, um, both of them ask, you know, when are we going to come over, mm-hmm. and I love my kids, because he was like, I don't know, I don't drive, <laughs> 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 I was just like, okay. And I was like, well, how, you know, how, how did that make you feel? Like them asking you that when you didn't know the answer. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, 
it's fine. He's like, it's a little uncomfortable. He's like, because I feel bad for her because I know she misses us, but I understand why, you know, you don't want to go over there. He's like, but I just feel kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had talked to her, and I was just like, you know, that's, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can't manipulate him into asking me when we can come over. Mm-hmm. You know, like, one, he's not three anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, but it's like, yeah, and it's just like, yeah, it's, it's really just kind of holding those boundaries and, and also not taking that stuff personally mm-hmm. of just saying, this is who she is. This is how she operates. And I can't feel bad because she wants to twist it and make it seem like it's something that it's not when I've been clear that it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's work. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. But yeah, I I have to I have to do that for for me and my kids. So where did you learn to create and hold boundaries? Therapy, girl. <laughs> girl, yeah. <laughs> Therapy. <laughs> I am a proponent of handling your mental health issues. Um, <laughs> therapy. Yes. Um, and and it was it was in therapy when I started recognizing those patterns in my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know and I know it's very like stereotypical, like going to therapy and talking about your mom. Um, and that wasn't it. Like I I started going to therapy because. Um, I had postpartum depression mm-hmm. and started going to therapy then. And um, there was something I said in therapy that basically told my therapist that um, my mom called me a heifer or when I was younger or something like that. Mm-hmm. And my therapist, like the look of shock on her face. Mm-hmm. And my therapist was black, so it wasn't like this white person, like, mm-hmm. judging. Like, you know, because I've, I've heard black people say, that, you know, heifer, like, I've mm-hmm. heard, you know, but I didn't understand what it meant, mm-hmm. like, because of how my family used it growing up, I thought it was, like, a term of endearment or, you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of the way in which people use the N-word now, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but she would not let me kind of brush it off like she was like excuse me what mm-hmm. and I was like oh well she was like heifer da, da, da. and she was just like no 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 no." she was like wait how old were you when your mom said this to you mm-hmm. and she was just and she was like Elmika you do realize your mother has been calling you a bitch your whole life mm-hmm. and and it was the first time that I had recognized the way in which I had been mothered was traumatic. Mm-hmm. And that was hard mm-hmm. to, like, grasp and understand. And then to recognize the ways in which I continued that mm-hmm. with my then stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. And so having to, like, fix that and be like, you know what? I didn't know, girl. I'm so sorry. but but yeah like my therapist was the one my therapist at the time was the one that like kind of took those blinders off and 
And that was the first time I realized that, like, what is normal in most people's families may not be normal in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I mean, that's just how it was in my family. Like, there were insults and there were all these things and you just kind of, like, you didn't know that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're just like, yeah, like, like, yeah, I didn't know. Like, even growing up, like, people said, like, faggot so much when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I just thought it meant, like, like, calling somebody, like, like a punk or something like a name but not that bad until I went to college and I said it Mm -hmm. and my and my friend who was by she was like why would you say that to me Mm -hmm. and I was like what did I say I was like I don't like what did I say and Mm -hmm. she was like why she was like she was hurt and I could see the hurt Mm -hmm. and I was just like I am so like I am so sorry I didn't know Mm -hmm. and I explained and, and you're like and she you know she knew that it wasn't but I think that was, like, the beginning of that stuff of, like, okay, mm-hmm. there's stuff that that my family did and said that I didn't realize. And, I mean, growing up, like, you're isolated. Like, I didn't travel growing up. I didn't, we didn't go to different places. Like, you, you were around the same kinds of people all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, even if in your house they didn't say it, outside of your house they said it. And so, it was, like oh, this is, this is what's normal, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So it's, therapy is, is <laughs> it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And, and you start to kind of realize what you thought was normal, um, whether within yourself or in your families, you start to kind of have someone to run that by. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is this healthy? You know, exactly. um, and somebody that can help you also deal with with all of the consequences of coming to that realization, mm-hmm. because it's not as simple as this kind of Oprah aha moment. Mm-hmm. That it's a lot of guilt and shame and like anger and frustration and sadness of having to abandon this identity or these traits or these patterns that were comfortable mm-hmm. and having. And not only changing that in yourself, but then having to constantly fight with your family to not do those things again, Mm -hmm. or at least not to do those things around you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that process of unlearning is, it's intense. (laughs) Yeah, and it's, 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 it feels never ending. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like it's always this process of just you know yeah it's it's this process of you know the other day the other day um before we came up to Kansas City like we went to see my mom before we left and she said something and I was just like mommy you can't say that <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just like you, you can't say that and she said in front of Chris and it was just like and it's in those moments that it's like also I can't let Chris see that this is okay like I don't mm-hmm. want Chris to repeat this stuff and so having to say that and challenge it and you know but then also saying it's not that I'm saying you're a shit human by saying this stuff or doing this stuff mm-hmm. I just need you to know that I don't want you to do it around me you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and I don't want you to do it around my child because I don't want him thinking it's okay either exactly exactly 
So what are the biggest lessons that you learned from your mother, either directly through her parenting or from observing her? Um, I think that I learned that parents are human. Mm-hmm. Um, and they make mistakes just like everybody else. I think that, you know, there, there are certain kind of roles in life, you know, like parents and, and religious kind of leaders and politicians and things like that, that we kind of put them on this kind of higher pedestal of like, well, you're teaching us something, so therefore you must be without flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned that that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that most parents are winging it. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> most parents are are just okay. This works. This doesn't work. Okay. Um, mo- you know, but some parents notice what what doesn't work and and correct it and say okay. You know. Um, I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned is is recognizing and appreciating the humanity in in who my mother is, but then also using that to forgive myself for my mistakes as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel being black has informed your experience? of mothering, being mothered and mothering? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, it is, uh, it's interesting, it's interesting, like, I, and I think that is the only word that I can come up with, um, mm-hmm. because I've learned to approach things, especially things that are hard, with mm-hmm. curiosity. Mm-hmm. Of like, why am I reacting this way? Or why why is this feeling coming up in me right mm-hmm. now? What is this thing trying to teach me or move me away from or move me towards? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's interesting and it's, it's scary mm. you know um and there was um someone posted on facebook this this quote by um what is that book hold on I to find it because i had i bought the book because of the post that she had with um it was called the, the Lift of the Week. Yes. Mm-hmm. By Danny yes. McLean. Is that her last yes. name? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. We, we Lift of the Week. And she said that, um, I'm paraphrasing, she said, as mothers, we metabolize our children's fear. Hmm. And, and, and I, I reflect on, like, when, 
we moved to Japan and there were all these different things that my son was dealing with but didn't know he was dealing with mm-hmm. because I metabolized that for him. Like mm-hmm. I consumed it and, and, and dealt with that for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's at the age where he sees the stuff and he notices it. Um, and some of the stuff I make him aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, just so that he doesn't move about the planet thinking the world is fair all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, just because your mother has made it fair. <laughs> uh-huh. You know? Um, you know, it's okay. You're at a school that doesn't like your hair. Cool. I'll go, you know, oh, I got to move to a school that accepts me. You know, mm-hmm. that's not the case for a lot of people. You know, mm-hmm. um, most people have to just deal with what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, and like I, I felt that mm-hmm. when I read it of, of we, we metabolize so much more than just our children's fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what it's like, you know, being black and being a black mother. Um, you know, when I was when I was twelve, uh, my godbrother was killed by police. Mm. And I, I was, I didn't understand it and I didn't know, but I knew that there was something unfair about that. Mm-hmm. And even like, like, you know, that was, it was the nineties. There was no hashtags. There was no videos, mm-hmm. there was no social media, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and I mean, like, brutally killed, like, shot over 40 times. Oh. Um, point blank range, all of that. And, and one, hearing and processing all of that, because mm-hmm. no one is talking to me. They're mm-hmm. just talking around me with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, this conversation is not having a conversation about things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, and also... You know, my, my definition of mothering with, with this intentional care and concern. Mm-hmm. My mother told me my godbrother died right before I went to school. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I was sat Ooh. on the couch, she told me, and, like, I was left to process that at school. Mm. And it was just like, oh, Okay. You know, um, and so I feel like that in in my mothering, I've carried that, um, especially having a boy mm-hmm. and having a black boy that is bigger than his chronological age. Mm-hmm. Um, he appears older mm-hmm. in in maturity and his height and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Tommy Rice was killed, like, that, I think that's when I first internalized what happened. Mm-hmm. Because everything else, like, you know, Trayvon Martin is like, okay, he's older, my kid is like six right now. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel it yet. But then when it's like, okay, they're 12, they're 12, like, you just kind of mother in a different way, like, you know, 
I, I never had, like, toy guns in my house. If someone bought him a toy gun, I, like, apologized and gave it back. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, I'm sorry, you really should have asked me before you bought this. Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, you know, and I've had people, like, ask me and say, hey, I want to buy him, like, a Nerf gun. Is that okay? And I'm like, no. Thank you for asking, though. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, he really loves Legos. Get him Legos. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but you think of these things, even before Tommy Rice died, I was like, I don't want my kid playing with a gun and someone think it's real and something happened to him because mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you just can't let your kid be a kid in some ways that, that other people can let their kids be kids. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then there's also this delicate balance of protecting that childhood and that innocence. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this constant kind of push and pull, you know, um, mothering in such a way to where he never wanted a gun, you know, <laughs> mothering in such a way he was never envious of the people that got to play shooting games, mm-hmm. you know, of it's, it's that finesse. That black mother, that only black mothers have, mm-hmm. of being able to kind of balance and juggle all of that, um, and I, and I think it comes back to that quote of like digesting all of that for our kids and metabolizing that for them so that they don't have to feel the effects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of prepare them for being able to to be in this world, but then also protecting that black joy and protecting that yes. you know um you know I talked with him and I was like you are so much more still a child mm-hmm. than I was at 13 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and I was like and I think that is like my greatest pride and accomplishment in being mm-hmm. a mother yes that you are just a kid and you're able to be just a kid you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So how do you make space for your inner child and how do you mother yourself? Um, I think that, that in, in being silly and allowing myself to be silly and, um, engaging in those things that bring me joy you know, making a list of when I notice, oh, I got really hype about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let me let me write this down in the back of my planner, like you know, <laughs> um, just so I can reference it. You know that there are these very simple things um, that I I do or that I I try to investigate to see, like okay, you know, that seem childish, like blowing bubbles mm-hmm. or coloring. Or, you know, all of these things. I think that I'm able to mother my inner child in the work that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, In working with kids, um, like, what I always say to them is I am, I try to be to you who I needed when I was your age. Mm -hmm. And I think in doing that, I'm, I'm doing that in my to my inner child in the same way mm-hmm. of like, you know, stopping and playing with kids, um, you know, blowing bubbles and trying to do cartwheels with them and falling and being able to laugh at myself mm-hmm. and not, you know, 
Um, it's stuff like that of I allow that to come through and not feel like that I have to be an adult and I have to be professional and all of these other things all of the time, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think just as parents, like, that's important. Like, I, you know, that's the, the, the advice that I give to parents and almost every kind of workshop that I give is just like, you have to play with them. Mm-hmm. Like, if your three-year-old gives you a fake phone, you answer it. Like, you, <laughs> that that play and that, you know, exploration, that's all important for us, too. So, yeah. It's, it's fun, though. Yeah, it's really fun. I think yeah. both of them are my favorite thing ever. <laughs> I'm surprised, like, when I'm blowing bubbles with my with my boys at this point, and sometimes still with my girls, I'm surprised how, like, meditative it feels to just, like, mm-hmm. blow the bubbles and watch them go. And how, like, joyful it feels to watch the kids chase them. It's the simplest mm-hmm. thing, but it's just, it feels good. It always feels just, good to blow bubbles. It does. And and I use, I use kind of the bubbles imagery when I teach kids mindfulness of mm-hmm. like, you know, I say like you smell the flower and like, okay, if you smell a flower and you smell it really quickly, like pollen's going to get in your nose and you know, you're mm-hmm. going to have to like, you gently smell it and that's how you should breathe in. And if you blow out, if you blow too harshly trying to blow bubbles, you're not going to be able to. Mm-hmm. And so it, it reminds you to breathe mm-hmm. that, you know, like blowing bubbles is very meditative. That it reminds you to breathe slowly and calmly and patiently. Um, but yeah, but isn't it isn't it wonderful how even like your teenagers get excited about bubbles and they try to act like they're not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like blow some bubbles around a teenager, they are going to pop some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's yeah, I think, yeah the awesomest thing ever whoever invented that thank you Mm -hmm. yes thank you thank you for listening to this episode of our mother's gardens if you want to support the show you can make a sustaining donation on patreon by visiting our page our mother's gardens please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review you can also find us on instagram at our mother's gardens pc Our Mother's Gardens is a Honey Bunch of Stinkweed production. The podcast features music produced by Pata.